Man, I'm so happy that you guys are here. I'm gonna read a passage of scripture from both 2 Corinthians and John 1, continuing in a sermon series that I believe we started probably six weeks ago. I think we started it on Father's Day by accident. Um, I gave a message on Father's Day called the prodigal father or the prodigal God. And how many of you guys were here on Father's Day? Like, okay, a few of you guys, not very many of you guys, and that's okay, but that's proof that we need the 4 p.m. service because if everyone comes at once, somebody would have to sit in the puke. I'm gonna mess with you guys. So you guys are gonna get with me before this is all said and done, all right? So it's quiet. Y'all are quiet. You guys excited? You guys excited that Jesus is in the room? You guys excited that you're gonna be transformed today by a word from God? Me too. Amen. I'm very excited. And so on Father's Day, we uh, started this sermon, uh, sermon series by accident on the goodness of God. And it was like we cracked open a door concerning the goodness of God that now has been kicked open by the Holy Spirit. And we have been sharing for six weeks the ever controversial topic of the goodness of God. Because how many of you guys know that God is way better than you thought that he was? God is way better than you've ever imagined that he was. And in this season, what I feel like God is doing in our community is he's giving us an upgrade. He's giving us a bigger revelation. He's expanding our definition of what it looks like to trust, know, and experience that God is good. Amen? Amen. Did you guys get thrown off by the lights? Okay, sorry. I did a little bit myself, but it's okay. You're not sitting in puke, so you're doing well. So open up your Bible. I'm actually gonna read from the message uh, version today, but I'm gonna read 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, and I'm gonna read John 1 and 18. And we're gonna go just a little bit deeper into this topic on the goodness of God. I'm really excited about this message. And I wanna forewarn you, could I give you a little bit of a disclaimer? It's gonna challenge your thinking, and it's probably gonna challenge your theology. So could we all agree not to get mad at me? Thank you guys for the grace. I really appreciate it. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 in the message version says this. It started when God said, light up the darkness. And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ. All bright and beautiful. That is a good scripture. What do you guys think? My favorite part of it is, as we saw and understood God. Did you know that you can see God? Did you know that you can understand God? How? In the face of Christ. That's good news, amen? That's the gospel, that we can see and understand God in the face of Christ. See, we haven't always known what God was like, but we know what God is like now. God is like Jesus. For thousands of years, people were confused. What is God really like? And Jesus showed up on the scene and he shows us what God truly has to say, that God is like Jesus. 
If there is anything that we believe about God that we cannot find in the person of Jesus, we have reason to question that theology. And that's an important rule of thumb when you think about how God is and how God is towards you. Is this how Jesus would be towards me? It's a good question to ask. John 1 and 18 in the message says this, no one has ever seen God. That's a pretty bold proclamation, huh? No one has ever seen God. And he continues, not so much as a glimpse, but this Jesus, everybody say Jesus, who exists at the very heart of the father has made him plain as day. I like that a lot. How about you guys? So good. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We absolutely adore you. You are the center of all that we do. And we ask that today you would give us wisdom in the knowledge of you. You would give us understanding. You'd give us counsel. You'd give us revelation that we might grow deeper in relationship with you. God, would you go beyond our definitions of goodness? Would you just take us to a new dimension of understanding and experiencing how good that you are? We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for your faithfulness. You lead us and guide us into good places. Give us an upgrade today. If you want an upgrade today, just say amen. amen. I want an upgrade today in the definition of God's goodness. How about you? I want a bigger portion I want a bigger understanding of just how good that God is because God is way better than I can preach. God is way better than we can study. God is way better than we can read or listen to a sermon. God wants to show you that he is way better than you ever thought that he was. He wants to go above and beyond everything that you can ask, think, or imagine. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 20. And that's what I'm asking for, church. I'm asking for a new definition of God's goodness in my life. I'm tired of beating myself up with shame and with guilt when I make mistakes and I sin or I don't do uh, things right away when the Holy Spirit prompts me. Anybody else in here? I do that all the time. I gotta be honest. Like God will prompt me, push me. Hey, preach the gospel to that person. And I'm not, I'm not talking about busting out my Bible in Home Depot. I was there yesterday and, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it's like stepping into situations where you're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and you share the good news with people. You guys know that we're all called to do that. It's not just priests and ministers. We're all Christians. We're all commissioned. Amen. So yesterday I had a chance to preach the gospel in a very, uh, I'll just refer to it as a precarious position because I was getting my eyebrows waxed. All right, so um, see what I mean by precarious? Wasn't lying. So I'm, yeah, that's true. So I was at European Wax Center, all right? So um, yes, that's where I was. Only dude in the whole place. And uh, I go there about every six weeks and I get my eyebrows waxed. So that's for your benefit more than it is for mine because I would look like a caveman if I go much longer with a unibrow. And I promise you, you would not be able to receive scripture from me if all you could focus on was my unibrow. All right, I can guarantee that. And so, you know, you're laid down because it feels quite medicinal, at least for me. And, and you know, I'm like, okay, okay, God, you know, 
this is gonna hurt bad because it always hurts really bad, but thankfully European Wax Center has that black wax and it's a little bit less painful. And anyways, that's what they tell me. And, and uh, so I'm you know, obviously complaining in advance of how bad this is gonna hurt. And the girl just seems to not have a lot of patience with me. She's like, oh, all of you men always whine and complain about this. You know, women are much tough. I'm like, yes, I know. I've saw my wife uh, give birth to two kids, I know. And, and you know, I'm trying to explain to her about the scar in my eyebrow and everything. And she's like, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, great question. I love this question. I'm like, I'm a pastor. She's like, you're a pastor? You? You're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, I know. Believe it or not, I'm actually a pastor. She's like, you really believe that stuff? And I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to get the chance to minister to this uh, girl and talk to her about the goodness of God, you know, while she's ripping hair out of my face, you know? (laughs) interesting place to preach, right? And, um, and, and so, so, I'm, so I'm laying there and she says, well, all of you Christians, I mean, in the book uh, that you guys read, it says everything's just going to get so bad. You know, it's, it's going to be so terrible and we're going to be eating all these foods like GMOs and like everything's going to be terrible. I don't even want to have kids. And like, you know, you Christians, you guys believe that everything's going to be Armageddon and it's going to be bad. And then, and then you believe that Jesus is going to come back and, 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 you know, he's riding on a sword or a, a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. And uh, <laughs> anyways... <laughs> Not, not the picture that John the Revelator was trying to paint. Nonetheless, you guys believe this? And, uh, and I'm like, well, actually, I think that is a misinterpretation of the text. And I didn't want to offend her because I didn't want her to actually take off a whole eyebrow. But I was like, listen, I was like, I want you to know. And I, I said, I'm probably not your average preacher, but I want you to know that God is way better than that. And she said, you really believe that? I said, yes, I really believe that. She said, then explain that scripture. And I said, well, one of the things you need to understand is that there there are other horses in the book of Revelation. There's a red horse, that's the horse of war. But Jesus is riding a white horse, which is the horse of peace. Jesus is not the God of war. He is the Prince of Peace. And yeah, he had a sword coming out of his mouth, but that symbolism, that represents the Word of God. And the Word of God is not a book. The Word of God is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he is loving and he is perfect and he is merciful and he is forgiving. And she's like, that's what you think God is like? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I think God is like because Jesus is what God has to say. And there is no clearer revelation of God than Jesus hanging on the cross for our sins. If you want to look at a moment in which we see the clearest depiction of God throughout all of history, we can look at Good Friday as Jesus is spread out on the cross for you and I saying something like this, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is what God is like. And that's what I told her. And she's like, you're weird. And I said, well, I'm sure you haven't like met, maybe you haven't met somebody like me before, you heard anything like that before, but um, she's like, no, I haven't because I grew up hearing something completely the opposite. And I want to be honest with you guys today. I did too. I think I heard more messages about hell, probably 10 times as many messages about hell than I did about heaven. Anybody else in here? The way I was taught about God was that God was good. And I said things in church like this, God is good. Yeah, you guys got it all the time. You guys know it. But then when I would suffer hardship and we all suffer hardship, there is no human being that is exempt of hardship. When I would suffer hardship, I would start to question my version of God's goodness. 
And I would say, man, what a bummer. You know, I guess my sin has finally caught up with me. And now God is punishing me and casting me into a jail cell called hell. And he's tormenting me and he's throwing away the key. And my life is going to be miserable. And he'll probably give me a terminal illness if I don't change. Anybody else in here have that version of God displayed over and over in your mind growing up? Because I did. I always thought God was like this angry, uh, you know, violent, aggressive, mean guy up in the sky sitting on a big white throne with a shepherd's rod and he was gonna pop you over the head if you did something wrong, you know? And honestly, I was more afraid of hell than I was excited about heaven. Anybody else in here like that growing up? And that was for me, the depiction that I had of God. And, you know, I don't know how you grew up. I hope that you grew up, grew up hearing that God was good. And I'm sure you heard that from your parents. I hope you heard that from your parents, that Jesus loves you, which is an awesome thing to learn first. Uh, maybe you grew up being taught by Sunday school teachers or pastors that God was good, which is amazing. But then maybe you grew up hearing that God was fake, a fraud, that he wasn't real at all, that he was the opium of the masses, that he really didn't matter, he was not really relevant, and uh, people just believed in him in order to cope with their pain. Maybe that's how you grew up. You know, I grew up in the era of something called chick tracks. Do you guys remember these? Anybody in here? You probably won't if you're very young, but chick tracks were like these little comic book things that you flip, and they're like evangelism, street evangelism, and they would pass them out. Anybody ever got one of those? If you've ever been downtown, like somebody's probably passed you one of those, like, here you go. You know, here's a, here's a little track to evangelize you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever seen them before? They're like little comic books and you flip through them and, uh, and, and there's one called This Was Your Life. And, and that's the most popular one because it, it, it's, um, it's, an, it's a story of a guy who goes to heaven and in heaven he meets this faceless white, bright, bearded God who quite aggressively sends him to hell to be tormented forever. And that's, the, that's their method of evangelism. You know, forget the scripture that says it's the kindness of God that leads sinners to repentance. We're just gonna scale, scare you right into heaven. Or, you know, we're gonna scare you into repentance, you know? And a lot of people use that tactic as an expression of evangelism and people have been using it for years. I mean, you can look back at the famous sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God right? We've probably all heard that reference before, and I in no way want to cast judgment on that, that preacher because we've received a lot of uh, teaching from him that's part of our history. But to be honest with you, I just don't think it's true. I told you that I might offend you today, and I, I'm sorry in advance if I am, but you know, God is not a faceless, bright, white giant up in the sky sitting on a throne waiting for you to come there so he can send you to hell violently and torment you forever. Some of you guys are scared to say amen right now. No, I, I, I understand. I get it. I really do. I get it. Because what we've been taught about God for so long, what we believed about God for so long, doesn't actually really line up to the truth that God is good all the time. God is not a faceless giant in the sky. God has a face and it looks like Jesus. That is exactly what the passages tell us that we read today. And so I wanna ask you again, what is your God like? Is he an angry aggressive, punishing, tormenting God, or is he a good, merciful, forgiving father? What is your God like? 
Let me read John 1 and 18 once more to you. It says, no one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This Jesus who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. Now, this is an interesting scripture. If you're a student of the Bible and you've read through the Old Testament, you could see how John's claim that no one has ever seen God would be error. You would say, what is John talking about? No one has ever seen God? Really? Because I could flip back to Genesis and I could show you, I could tell you a story where Abraham met with God face to face. He actually had a meal with God under the oaks of Mamre. How about Ezekiel? You know, you could look into the Old Testament and see Ezekiel who had visions of God by the river of Chabar in Babylon. How about Jacob? You remember the man that wrestled with the angel? What about when he came to a place called Bethel and he looked up into the sky and he saw a ladder of angels ascending and descending and there, up there, he saw God. Do you guys remember this? Hey, how about Isaiah? Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, right? The glory of the Lord. Anybody remember this? And the train of his robe fills the temple. Didn't Isaiah see God? How about Moses? Doesn't the Bible teach us in Exodus chapter 33 that Moses as a man saw God face to face? All of these biblical proof texts that we have, all of these stories in the Old Testament, we could actually use them to argue with John, the writer of this book, and say, John, you're out of your mind, man. People have seen God before. But you know, John was not ignorant of history. John grew up hearing the stories of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Moses, of Ezekiel, all these people that had face-to-face encounters with God. He knew all of these stories. All of these stories were a part of his heritage. What John was teaching us is this, that no matter what visions, what dreams, revelations, epiphanies, theophanies, Christophanies, theophanies are where people have face-to-face encounters with God in the Bible. Christophanies are the places where we see Christ showing up in the Old Testament. And John says, it doesn't matter if you've had any of those. You could have had amazing encounters. You You could have had powerful epiphanies. But all of those pale into insignificance when you compare it to the revelation of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John was able to say no one has ever seen God before because by comparison, every encounter with God before paled into insignificance when compared to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You guys getting anything out of this? This is why John was able to say that because Jesus came to show us the exact image of the Father. Jesus came to show us what God really looked like. We see what God looks like as we look upon the face of Jesus Christ. How about another passage? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says, going through a long line of prophets, God has been addressing our ancestors in different ways for centuries. Recently, he spoke to us directly through his son. By his son, God created the world in the beginning and and it will all belong to the son at the end. Now, here's here's where it gets really good. You got to Check this part out. It says, this son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says, powerful words. Guys, God is not a faceless giant. He has a face and he looks like Jesus. So what's your God like? That's the question I have for you today. What's your God like? 
More importantly, what is God like towards you? How do you experience God? How do you receive God? What do you expect to receive from God day in and day out? Not just when you have a great encounter on Sunday morning, but I'm talking about how do you receive from God? How do you experience God on Monday when you're headed into work? How do you experience God on Thursday when you made a mistake on Wednesday night? Like what's your, what's your expectation of what you're gonna get from God whenever you fail or whenever you sin or whenever you mess up or make a mistake or you find yourself in shame or guilt or embarrassment? What do you expect to receive from God? What is your God really like? Is your God like Jesus, the Jesus of the cross that we read throughout the gospels? Or is your God like a chick track, a faceless, angry Lord who rules over you with a close watchful eye, waiting for you to mess up or make a mistake so, he, so that he can correct your course violently. It's quiet in here, and I don't know if that's because you guys are sleepy or because you wrestle with this too. I wrestle with this too. And I read a story this week, and um, there was a, actually a Nazi soldier who came to Christ in a very interesting way. It's been a few hundred, near, uh, well, not a few hundred, but a few uh, decades now since this has happened. But he was in Europe um, after World War II and, and um, he was reading through the Bible for the first time. He had long since been a very aggressive atheist. And he gets to the point where Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is what he thinks to himself. This is a man who understands me. And when I read that passage of scripture, that's where I find myself as well. I don't know about you guys. But when I hear Jesus on the cross saying, why have you forsaken me? I'm like, yeah, I know that feeling. Anybody else in here? You know that feeling. And that's why Jesus came to show us what God really has to say so that we don't expect God to treat us violently or with ill intent, but God to handle us with mercy, forgiveness, and love. This is what God is really like, amen? amen? These beautiful truths certainly help us to understand this, you know, this is what God's like. But I know that we still wrestle with it. I know that a lot of you in here will say, hey man, God is good. Or how about this? Hey, Jesus loves me. But when the going gets tough, you start to get afraid. And you get afraid that God has decided to turn his back on you and just let you suffer. Will anybody in here be honest and say, yep, I know what that feels like, Lyle. Whenever I'm going through something, I'm like, man, God just left me. Why'd you do that, God? Some of you guys are probably there this week, you know, this weekend. But the truth is, God hasn't left you. God has not turned his back on you. No matter where you are this morning, no matter where you were last night, God has not turned his back on you. How do I know that? Because Jesus never turned his back on anyone. It doesn't matter how big of a sinner you would consider yourself to be, Jesus' name is the friend of sinners. When you are at your worst, when you are at your lowest point, when you've made your worst decisions, when you're having a terrible day, when you're making disgusting, gross decisions that you're ashamed and embarrassed of, that is when God, Jesus, wants to be invited over for a meal. 
When you are not feeling spiritual, when you are feeling very carnal, when you are feeling very fleshly, when you are feeling very disgusting, when you are feeling very ashamed, those are the very moments that Jesus wants to step in. And not heap shame on you, not heap unforgiveness on you, but meet you with mercy and say, hey, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is what God is like. Jesus doesn't turn his back on anyone. God's attitude towards you this very moment is one of fatherly, motherly love. That's his attitude towards you. You have nothing to fear from God. Can I say that to you again? You have nothing to fear from God. God is not mad at you. God has never been mad at you. God is never going to be mad at you. Just let it soak for a little bit. I know those are simple words, but really they're immense when they hit our heart and we don't believe it. But could I emphatically declare to you guys that God is not mad at you. It doesn't matter what you've said about him. It doesn't matter how many times you've turned your back on him. It doesn't matter how many times you've thrown stones in the direction of him. He's ready to forgive and meet you with mercy day after day and today as well. God is not mad at you. And, you know, I say things like this, and and to be honest with you, I was not prepared for the controversy that this sermon series was going to incite. I really wasn't, you know, because it's very easy to rally around the idea that God is good. But when it really, like when the rubber meets the road and we have to choose to believe God is good in this tough situation, typically we side with the other. God really isn't as good as he says he is because if he was that good, then my situation wouldn't be so bad. And that's why I think we have a hard time and we wrestle with this understanding. And when we talk about being afraid of God because for, we're, we're, we're afraid of punishment or anything like that, here's what people have said to me. Well, what about the fear of God, Lyle? Aren't we supposed to be afraid of God? Aren't we supposed to have a healthy fear of God? After all, he's really big and he's really powerful. And I understand that, I get that. I do think that when we first meet God, when we're first getting to know God, it is a very normal thing to be afraid of Him. Think about Peter in the boat with Jesus when he said, put your net on the other side and grab a catch. When all the fish came back in, Peter hit his knees and he said, can you get out of my boat, please? Because I'm a sinner. He was afraid, but notice that he didn't stay afraid. Because the fear of God is not being afraid of God. In the Old Testament, if we define the fear of God through the lens of the Old Testament, it would be being afraid of getting too close to God. Like going up and touching Mount Sinai, you could die. I'm afraid of getting too close. He's too powerful. He's too big. He's too almighty. He's, whoa, he's too scary. But the fear of God in the new covenant because of what Jesus has accomplished is this. I am afraid of being separated from God because I know that God, Jesus Christ is my lifeline. I am completely dependent upon Jesus. Without his Holy Spirit, I have nowhere to run. I have nowhere to go. I am lifeless. I am starving. I am without. 
unless I have Jesus. But when I have Jesus, I have all that I need. I have everything that my soul desires. When I have Jesus, I have mercy. When I have Jesus, I don't have shame or unforgiveness. When I have Jesus, I have love. But what about the fear of God? That's the fear of God for us in the new covenant. We're afraid of being far away from Him because we know what the world has to offer. And without Him, we'll end up more like that than more like Him. And we know where that'll get us. Think about the story of the prodigal son. When the son was far away from the father, he was living with pigs, right? He was, he was starving. He was hungry. He was without. And I always refer back to that. I always refer back to the prodigal son story. I always refer back to that sermon of Jesus when people say things like, well, you need to be afraid of God, Lyle. Or, you know, how about this? How about a scary scripture? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You ever heard that one before? It's a fearful thing. You should be afraid of that. And I think of the prodigal son story. Because no doubt, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. But why is it a fearful thing? Because in the hands of God, you have nowhere to hide. In the hands of God, you have to face yourself. In the hands of God, you see yourself as you really are. And you acknowledge your brokenness and your vulnerability and your weakness. And you say, I really need you. It is in the hands of God that you can no longer live in the disguise of your own lies. It is in the hands of God where you have to become real about who you really are. You know, when the prodigal son came home from that pigsty, he fell into the arms of his dad. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of your father when you know how you've been living wrong. He fell into the hands of his dad and he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Maybe you've been there before with the Lord. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be counted as a Christian. I'm no longer worthy. I'm just gonna have to leave church. I'm gonna have to isolate. I'm gonna have to hide. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah, that was probably a fearful thing. I can bet you that the prodigal son was afraid. Why? Because his fate was in the father's hands. He knew that his father had the opportunity to bury him because of his sin. But here's the beauty of the story. Although he's afraid in his father's hands, there's no safer place for him to be than in the father's hands. And just because we're fearful when we fall into the hands of a living God does not mean that God is to be feared. Because to fall into the hands of the living God is to fall into the hands of a loving God. And when you're in His hands, that is where mercy, that is where forgiveness, that is where restoration starts. Where you fearfully fall into the hands of God and you say, no more. I can't do this on my own anymore. This is who I really am. And it's not pretty. It doesn't look good. It's not great. I'm not cleaned up and I'm afraid because I know you have dirt on me. Are you going to shame me publicly? Are you going to violently cast me into hell for eternal torment? But God is just like the father in Jesus's message. 
When he's got the goods on you, he says, here's a ring. When he could bury you, he says, here's some shoes. When he could put you under, he says, here's a robe. And it's not just any robe, it's my robe. Because I'm reinstating you. I'm telling you who you really are. I'm giving you identity. I'm giving you inheritance. And I'm bringing you into the family called the kingdom of heaven. This is what God is really like. Jesus is what God has to say. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. If you're afraid, I want you to know you have nothing to be afraid of. You know where you, know where you have something to be afraid of? In that far off country with the pigs. That's where it's scary. Yeah, that's hell. That's, <laughs> yep. But in the hands of the Father, in the hands of the living God, you're in the hands of a loving God. We've not always known what God was like, but we do now. And we know that God is like Jesus. Thousands of years, people prophesied, people debated with the light and the faith that they had. This is what God is like. This is what God requires. This is what we must do for God. God is a taskmaster. God is a big guy in the sky. And God is this, God is that. There were many misconceptions about what and who God was, but that's what Jesus came to clear up. He's not a God of vengeance. He's a God of mercy and forgiveness. He's not the God of war, but he is the Prince of Peace. And he doesn't exile you, he brings you into family. What can separate you from his love? I wanna invite you to stand, I wanna pray with you today. First and foremost, as you're standing up, just bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment because as I mentioned, I understand that in sharing this message, even if you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, it might feel a little controversial. It may feel a little stretchy. It may feel a little awkward because so often God really is way better than we think. He really is way more beautiful than we thought. He really is way more merciful, way more forgiving than we ever thought. And I know sometimes it's offensive to think like that, but just ask yourself one question. Everybody close your eyes, bow your head. Just ask yourself one question. Ask the Lord a question, better yet. God, is this from you, for me? Is this from you? And if he says yes, then just ask him, how can I apply it? How can, how can this transform my life? How can this change my experience? How can I receive you and see you different? God's not building an orphanage. He's raising a family. If you're here today and you would like to come home and you don't know Jesus as your friend, as your savior, as your Lord, as a good dad, I just want you to lift your hand up real quick. We're gonna pray for you. And we're gonna welcome you into family, all of us, all together. We're gonna pray with you. Just one more moment. If that's you, just lift your hand, please. We're gonna pray with you. Awesome, amen, amen. I see one, awesome. So if you lifted your hand today, I just wanna ask you to repeat after me. And because we're a family, we're all gonna repeat together, Jesus. Jesus, I come home. 
forgive me of my sins. Wash me with your blood. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I am free. I am forgiven. Today is a day of new beginnings. Amen and amen and amen.